the year that I decided I want to be a lawyer was the same year I walked in front of the church and decided to get baptized. Um, so I was a latchkey child from fourth grade through 12th grade. I had to get an education and that was it for me. I always wanted to live my life helping people. I like having these conversations because it forces me to reflect. Hello, welcome to the Dre and Smiley Inner Circle Podcast. We are most excited to have Judge Hayes with us. This is a podcast where ordinary people who are living extraordinary lives share their ideas and their experiences with you. All right. So I'll read a brief intro here before we jump into it. So Judge Robin Kimbrough Hayes grew up the only African-American family in a trailer park in Lexington, Kentucky as a latchkey kid. Determined to get out of the trailer park, she focused on education by attending Fisk University and graduated with Phi Beta Kappa honors. Robin's desire to serve took her to Emory School of Law, where she received the school's Public Service Award. Since graduating, she has served in a number of different capacities in the Nashville area. Those include Assistant Attorney General, Associate General Counsel for the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, in 10 years as the legal counsel for the Tennessee Coalition to End Domestic and Sexual Violence. As an attorney, she's received the Napier Lobby Bar Association A.A. Birch Service Award and the Nashville Coalition Against Domestic Violence Advocate of the Year. Judge Hayes is also a graduate of Vanderbilt Divinity School and an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. She currently serves as the chaplain and special advisor to the president of the United Methodist Affairs at Meharry Medical College. Robin has used her legal skills to advance social justice for the least of, the, of these in our communities. She's an active member of a number of organizations in the, in the Nashville area that serve to spiritually and materially advance the circumstances of the black community in Nashville. Just a few of these organizations include Nashville Branch of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, Women and the NAACP NOAA, or Nashville Organized Change and Hope, for Change and Hope, and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She's on the Sexual Assault Center Board of Directors as well. Robin has two self-published books, be Encouraged, 100 Messages of Hope and Healing, and Exercise Your Faith, a 21-day journey to physical and spiritual fitness. Robin also has written an adult curriculum for the United Methodist Publishing House and a weekly meditation for the Nashville Pride. On a personal note, Robin enjoys karaoke, volunteering, and social justice work. She is married to Arnold Hayes, and together they have five children. With that, Judge Hayes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you um, for that wonderful introduction, and thank you for allowing me to share with you all today on the judiciary. Um, since I've taken the judiciary, I am no longer um, serving in the in the chaplain role and special advisor roles at Meharry Medical College, and they were very fulfilling to me and have given me a strong context to the work on the bench. 
So in terms of going back just a bit, let's start from the beginning. You have a pretty impressive journey to becoming all that you are today. Let's start from the beginning in terms of growing up in that trailer park. What was that like and what was your motivation to seek something at a higher level than that? Um, growing up in the trailer park was rough. Um, uh, we were the only African-American family in the trailer park. And so it was kind of an oddity that we were in the trailer park. So it was kind of something new for the community there. I will tell you that the community was poor. So we were all poor. And um, I look back on that and look at, look at there, the trailer park is still there. And I look back and it's a miracle that I'm where I am today. Um, trailer parks are closed knit communities. Um, there's a lot of poverty. Um, and when I was living in the trailer park, there were a lot of things that were horrible going on in the trailer park. And, um, and I'm glad that I was able to avoid um, a lot of that. Um, so I did get, um, I, I, I was a kid. So I was four years old when I moved there. And um, I actually experienced a lot of race, what I would call, I would know now as racism. Um, um, name calling and, um, and even people that were, that hung out with me, they, they sometimes were called, um, uh, the end lover, you know what I'm saying? And, um, um, but yeah, I was made, I was made fun of, but yet I found community there in, in that environment. Um, but I knew that I wanted to get out of the trailer park. I had to get out. Uh, um, so I, I had to get out of the trailer park. So I thought the only ticket to get out was to get an education. So that just really motivated me to work hard in school. But I want to add that my earlier years in the trailer park, I was uh, over at my Aunt Rita's house. And she lived in Green Acres, and it was a middle-class black neighborhood. And uh, where we played, like you hear these stories, we played until the sun went down, and we played yeah. games, hide-and-seek, uh, any outdoor games, hang out at somebody's house, driving around the neighborhood. Um, that's what kind of neighborhood that was. So I was split. I would, sp I would go to school in that school district, and then I would go back to the trailer park. So there were two distinct communities that I was a part of. So I was in Green Acres and then I was in the trailer park. Um, so I was in these um, two different worlds. And um, and I actually experienced bullying in the other world, too. I was called white, um, said I talked proper and just never really fit in either community. Um um, because of some family things, I ended up having to stay home by myself starting in fourth grade. Um, so I was about nine or 10 and I was staying at home by myself. Um, so I was a latchkey child from fourth grade through 12th grade. Um, so, um, so I, I didn't, I wasn't over in Green Acres as much, but I was still a part of that community too. Uh, but I had to get an education and that was it for me. 
And um, I had a little stumble um, in, at the end of elementary school, but pulled that out. And I ended up in all advanced classes going to what was called junior high school. And so I knew that was the ticket is getting these advanced classes and going to college. And that meant I could leave. And I did just that. So when I went to Fisk, I, I was gone. So it was an interesting dynamic, you know, because, I mean, I look back, I had really good friends in the trailer park. There was one guy in the trailer park, and um, his name was Mr. Paul. And he was kind of like the guy with money in the trailer park. He was a painter. And he was the kind of guy that, even though we were all poor, he had the money in the trailer park. And um, I actually, he would take me and his family to wrestling matches. So I was really into wrestling. And uh, I mean, I think I said my wrestling strap book. So okay. even, though, yeah. I, even though the trailer park was bad, there were some positive things that I could, I could say, Mr. Paul, who allowed me to go to the Rupp Arena and, and to see big wrestling matches. I mean, that was a big deal. Oh, I couldn't wait till he offered me a ticket. And so, um, yeah. but, you know, we, we experienced a lot of problems because we were black. You know, people um, going through our yard to cross over, we couldn't sure. stop it. You know, it was just a, it was just a lot of things that we couldn't stop because of the racism. But I did build community even in spite of that i had friends i was running around the trailer trailer park playing games and all of that but still there was that race component um so i think i look back on it i think that's helped me out i talked to all communities you know i can relate and when i ran for u.s senate the trailer park piece really came out because i was talking to people from the hood to the holler i could talk hood i could talk holler I know how it is to live in a trailer park. I know what you're experiencing in that trailer park. I know how poor you are. I know how frustrated we are with management. And I know you're struggling to keep a roof over your head and your head. And that same struggle is for somebody who lives in the hood. I could relate. I, I was in the I was in the in the com, in the communities. You know, it's interesting. A couple of things that stand out from what you shared, Judge Hayes, is one is that your story has a common thread with a number of other guests we have um, as it relates to your horizon, right, being directly related to your exposure, right? Like you, my mother grew up um, in an environment that was less than desirable. At one point, and, and I try to emphasize this because when she told me this as a kid, it took a while for me to picture it. At one point, she lived in a basement, not a house with a basement, but a basement. So they started building the house and they stopped at the basement because they ran out of money. At one point she lived in a basement, but she was fortunate enough to later move on to a different neighborhood where she met one of her best friends who she's still friends with today. And that family was all about education. And so with that, in the summers, my mom and this and her friend would study, imagine this, they, they would study the dictionary. And so that kind of planted seeds for it. And so like you, with your Aunt Rita, going to that neighborhood and seeing there's, there's more than just the trailer park, you were exposed to the other you know, dynamics that, that exist in the world. And as a result, you know, raising your horizon. The second thing that stands out is that the value of your background as it 
pertains to what you do today, right? There's, my guess is there's, there's no person from any walk of life that you wouldn't be able to connect with because of your background. And that's, that says a, a lot in terms of the value and, your, and, and how it leads or, or adds to the success you're doing today. I just wanted to add that. Let, let me add this. I can tell you what gave me exposure that there was something better out there. It was, it was watching soap operas. So after school, my Aunt Rita was really into soap operas. And, um, and I said, there's something. It was the soap operas that showed me that there was something better out there. I did not see black folks living in big homes and nice cars until I went to Spelman, um, Spell, it was called Spelman Night, Spellbound Weekend, because I was, and applied to Spelman, and I had caught a Greyhound at 17 years old to go to Atlanta for this Spellbound Weekend. And they did a tour of the neighborhoods in Atlanta, and I was shocked about that there were black people living in those homes. Wow. You know what, Judge Hayes, you, you, you hit a nerve, you hit a, you hit a, you hit a part of my spirit because a lot of times my friends tease me and I would tell them that I was Victor Newman because of the soap opera Young and the Restless. And my mother, my grandparents watched that religiously. So when I graduated from college and got a job and was working in corporate America, I would always sit at the head of the table as if I'm Victor Newman because that was the one that I, I identified with because he he owned uh, all these conglomerates. He was international and he was a guy that I identified with as a young person. But the question I want to circle back to you is you mentioned the Green Acres and the the trailer park experience. And, and I, I, I didn't live in the projects, but we was like a half a block away from the projects. So we were in the project. So we didn't have, I'm from Pittsburgh. We didn't have a lot of trailer parks, but at which, at which part of your youth did you decide you, you, you understood that education was the, the ticket out of there or out of to something better. But when did you get the bug for, I want to be a lawyer. I want to affect change on a legal perspective versus I always see on the soap operas, I'm trying to think which one, uh, even Massimo was on all the, there were so many different names, but I didn't see any prominent lawyers. I saw the business people. So I was wondering, where did you get that, that legal bug? Well, um, I have no idea, but I know I was in the kitchen of my grandmother Morris house, who's a grandmother on my father's side of the family. And I stood in the middle of the kitchen at four years old and said, I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I have been wanting to be a lawyer um, ever, ever since. And um, and I thought really being a lawyer and I just want to say this to folks and I, you get and I have to be kind to myself um, because I came out of a trailer park straight to Fisk and um, I didn't have a lot of exposure as other people did. All I wanted to be was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about being a judge or being something beyond being a being an attorney. Um, I, I think um, we, we had a dentist in our church, uh, and church was a big piece of my life. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Mm -hmm. Church was so big. I, I can't really talk about getting out of that trailer park without talking about my faith and how that was that how that was the rock that really um, motivated me, inspired me, and carried me uh, away from the trailer park. Um, but, um, 
but it wasn't until later that I started seeing that I could be more than this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always, uh, but when I left Fisk, I wanted to run for office. So I ran for SGA president um, at Fisk and I won. I was president of my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta, Alpha Beta chapter. And, and I uh, wanted to run for U.S. Senate. And uh, I, I just want to encourage young people and all of us, I guess old people too. Sometimes we're, we put limits on, on our visions and our dreams and it's don't put limits on it. And even now that I'm a, a, a judge, I'm not going to put a limit on that either. Um, that, there's always, God has always taken us to new levels. Um, not for us, but for God, for God's kingdom building. And uh, so it's always another calling. So when I was, I, I another one is you, you decided at fourth, when you were four years old or fourth grade, you wanted to be a lawyer. But when I, I was fascinated when I graduated from college and I'm like, okay, lawyers. I didn't realize there were so many different kinds of lawyers. I mean, how did yeah. you find, I, I saw in your research when I was researching you online and, and I, I was so, you were on a, a webinar or a podcast and you talked about the ballot, ballotpedia. And I was like, Andre, I've never heard of this. It was so cool. And I've been there researching, <laughs> but, but I was wondering, so how did you decide, or was it in college when you started to focus in your legal studies that you wanted to pursue domestic violence issue, family type issues, or what was the, the trigger that said, I want to help people versus I'm going to chase the big money, be corporate lawyers, mergers, acquisitions, like, were, was it always a calling? Or was that your faith? Well, sometimes law school helps you um, decide what you're going to do, depending on how well you do in law school. <laughs> okay. But let me just say, I'm thinking about, I like having these conversations because it forces me to reflect. I think the year that I decided I want to be a lawyer was the same year I walked in front of the church and decided to get baptized. Mm -hmm. um, I think I always wanted to live my life helping people, um, to make change, um, to represent the voices of people. And I think that that's what this taught me. This helped me to hone that in mm -hmm. and definitely wanted to go to law school. Uh, definitely had a call for advocacy work. Um, law school was hard for me um, because it was a culture shock leaving law school, leaving the, the safety net of Fisk and going to law school. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, I, I, only thing I can say is God, because I did not have a mentor and I will stress to everybody, and that's something that, I, that I'm working on now, and I'm going to be getting me a mentor um, as a judge, because I saw a mentor as a lawyer. I needed one. I needed somebody to really talk to me about what I wanted to do, what my skills were, show me how to dress, all of that. Those are things that I did not know going into into law school. Now, I think they're doing a better job with that at HBCUs, helping folks with their resumes and dress, but I did not know how to dress. Now, my daughter knows how to dress. She knows what to wear, and she asked me, and I'm able to give that to her, uh, but I did not know these things. So when you talk about my journey, I feel it in my gut. I was going to do this. I did not. I was kind of, after I came to law school, I was like, what next? I've accomplished this. So for me, it was the job that I got. And so I got the job at the attorney general's office. 
And that job would walk the, I did not know, but that dog, that job would walk the dog for me through a Senate race and a judicial race um, because I was an assistant attorney general for the state of Tennessee and I argued appeals. And what I tell lawyers and I just tell anybody, whatever you're doing, stick with it. I kind of bounced and bounced and bounced. And um, if I had just stuck with the track, um, probably could have had a, 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 a different path. You know, mm-hmm. um, having a mentor who uh, was also interested in running for office. I knew from Fisk I wanted to run for office and but didn't really know what that looked like or how to map that out or get there. And so I think mentorship is important. And the only thing I could say was God, mm-hmm. you know, God led me every step of the way, even though I didn't know where I was going and made lots of mistakes along the way. Um, it was God that put opportunities in my way and enabled me to um, to do what I needed to do. Because I had a big detour. I went to Divinity School right in the middle, of, right at the beginning of my law my law career, and something that I was really called to do while I was at Emory Law School, but did not do it. And if I had had a mentor, I probably would have done it. But went on to Vanderbilt. I went for free to Divinity School there. So. Now I'm wrestling with a call, two calls, the legal call and this divinity call and how all of that was going to mesh together. And um, if you ask me now how it's all meshed together, I said, well, it has worked itself out. You know, I went to Meharry, did wonderful work as a chaplain, all of that. But and doing and this chaplain piece is definitely a great context to have on the bench. But I'm just looking um, toward God for, for the, um, you know, to 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 use me in this uh, space and to um, take me to wherever God wants me to go. But yeah, so I wish I could say, <laughs> oh, it was my gut. I was going to do that. Right. that way. No, it was just, I didn't have that context. I came from a trailer park for goodness sake. I came from poverty. I didn't see any right. black lawyers. I, I saw a black dentist. Um, that was Dr. Carrie Brown in my church. Um, I didn't even know this one was a Delta. I ain't a pledging Delta. Didn't even know she was a Delta. I knew I wanted to be in a, a, soror- a sorority and just had this gut to be a member of Delta. She was, she happened to be a Delta in my church. So, um, um, I just knew that, um, I had to get out of that trailer park Fascinating. and to be, and, 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 and I'm, but don't do it like I don't do this at home. You know, get, 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 a, get a mentor, get a mentor and think big. And I will say, add to this that, you know, I had some issues. Um, I, there was a cousin in my family I was always compared to. And you know what? I was determined I was going to outdo her. Mm-hmm. I was determined I'm going to show everybody. And, um, and it wasn't a situation where she was part of this, you know, the pitting against it was other family. And I, I just said, I'm in my head, I'm not saying this out loud to anybody. I'm thinking I'm going to, this is, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to go above, above this. And I think about, um, there was a, a young lady, um, her name was Tracy and, um, and I wanted to be like her too. I looked at these are some women, women, and um, and she happened to be a Delta, and um, she was really doing big things at Kentucky State, and I ha- I knew her through her brother, 
and um, her younger brother. And I said, you know, I tried to get some kind of bar mm -hmm. to, to meet or to exceed um, so that I could I could I can move forward. Um, but um, but yeah, don't do this at home. Now, my, my daughter, she's got mentors and I make sure she has somebody besides me to help her um, to navigate. She's she's got this. We had medical school all mapped out, but that wasn't her journey. She ended up going to law school. She's doing great. And she's getting with mentors to help her to map out her journey. And I just want to encourage everybody, everybody out there who's listening. If I get one message, do not limit yourself. There is, I mean, if, if I, when I ran for office, if I listened to what people told me to do, what people told me to run, I would not be here today. I had to, I had, I could not have these barriers. I could not be limited in what else. I woke up. I said I want to run for U.S. Senate, um, and it was per it was a perfect race for me. I got in it late, but it, it helped me to understand about running for office, what I needed to do, and I and I got um, and I knew how to apply those skills to to the judicial judicial race. So. Yeah. So don't do it at home. But. <laughs> so tell me this. So I have two, two burning questions after sharing everything you shared in terms of your journey from an HBCU to a PWI and some of the challenges you faced, but how you were still felt like you were prepared. And I also have a question about mentorship. So the first question is, talk. I have a 14-year-old who will be leaving the house soon. Um, and we're looking, you know, obviously, you know, opportunities for him, you know, in terms of college, universities. Talk about the HBCU experience and how it prepared you for the next level. And is that something you recommend um, for, for others? Um, I, I do. This was great for me. When I look back on it, I, I, I can't overemphasize how good that was for me. It fostered my leadership skills. It helped me to be around um, people who were safe that I could talk about issues with and to grow with, um, to be vulnerable with. Um, and um, it, 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 it nurtured my faith because I still stay connected to my faith at, at um, Fisk. Um, and I ran for, I think I ran for secretary treasurer when I was a freshman. And so it was, you know, I try, it, it encouraged me to try different things. Um, and it was a really good experience for me. And I, I pledged um, and I became a leader on campus. And I really, I look back on it. That was really important. I think I didn't see the grand scope of what I was doing then, but it, I, it, I was a I was a good speaker. I could speak. I could I could do different things. And um and I can say that other students probably have the same experience. When I think about some of my classmates, what they're doing, and they're doing really great things. And I believe it was because of because of Fisk. And um it gave me a sense of um self-worth. It's, it was a good experience for me in terms of self-esteem. I was doing well. I mean, it was, it, it, my teachers were there present for me. I still keep in touch with uh, at least 
two of my professors from Fisk, you know, and those connections, those the networking pieces, those were important to me. So I support the HBCU. Yeah, everything you said aligns with uh, others I've spoken to that are products of HBCUs, which is that it's a safe environment, it's a supportive environment, it's one that, that kind of breeds healthy, I don't want to use our competition, but it's the first word that comes to mind, in that you know your peers are striving to get to the top. And so, you know, it kind of helps pull you up as well if you're not, you know, uh, self-motivated. So I'm glad to hear that it kind of aligns with everything I've heard from others that were on HBCUs. The other second question I have, and I'll pass it over to Kevin after this, is mentorship. Um, the other guests we've had have also mentioned how they've had mentors in their lives. In some instances, you know, they, they didn't realize the person they were connecting with was a mentor per se. But these are people that help inspire, right. motivate, direct them. So I, it's clear that it's important. Do you offer any type of mentorship programs for youth uh, or young adults or anyone that's curious or interested in going and following the path you followed in, in terms of being, being a lawyer and perhaps taking it on to becoming a judge? Do you have any programs? Well, what a great accountability question. Uh, so uh, one program that I'm definitely going to implement um, as soon as I get my continue to put the um, put everything together with my job, I've only been a judge for like a month and a half now, uh, is I want to do a court officer for the day. I want to expose people to the court system. Um, so these are young people that just want to come to court and kind of look around and make them feel special and have some you know, make them feel, mm -hmm. feel important. Um, I, I was on the phone with a woman, um, yesterday, uh, last week sometime. And, um, and I was telling her what she needed to do. I said, you need to come down and do these appointments and you need to do this, that, and other thing. And I said, you need to get you a mentor. I said, it's not me. I don't consider myself a mentor. She said, well, what you're doing with me now is absolutely mentoring. And I do consider you a mentor. And so, um, so I think that's a great accountability question. Um, I think because um, to be transparent and vulnerable, I think because of the way I navigated my way through this space, it's hard for me to say I can mentor you and show you the, the ins and outs. I can tell you what not to do or to, what not to do so you can do is get you a mentor. Um, stick with this. Don't be afraid of it and keep working at it and keep processing with people your mistakes and, and your victories um, along the way. And certainly I told this woman I would be available to her. I'd love to mentor people on how to run for office okay. Okay. because I think that's important. Like I have a lot of ideas about that. I know what you can do to win. And how important it is um, to share of yourself and to um, when you're running for office and how you can do that and how you can do it on a on a small budget. So, yeah, and I'm um, looking forward to that. I'm going to be um, one of my goals is to coordinate a a program to teach girls how to run for office. Um, um, so that we can really get them inspired at a young age and they can move forward, either work on campaigns or run for office themselves. I, that's, that's something 
that that I definitely feel called called to do in this space in terms of mentoring. And to make it affordable. And to make it affordable because I know how much it is trying to get your kids in the programs. And you and you gotta work, but you want them in a meaningful space. And let me tell you, I was I would spend a whole day trying to map out my kids' summer to make sure that they were in good programs. Um, yeah, so that that's important. I, I make sure my kids have mentors around them. Uh, my son was in the Kappa League program or the 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 Gentlemen's Academy that the Kappas had. They were. It was an excellent program. My daughter was in uh, 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 working with the Delta Academy. I mean, th- those programs are really, really, really important. Um, I w- I'm going to get back to the question, but you said something called Ideas to Win. Is that a title of your third book? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's such a powerful title. I like that. I wrote that down. Wow. Ideas to You're win. To write that down. That, that, goes, that goes so many different directions, and it came out so naturally. Yeah, ideas to win. I like that. But Well, I, I will note that everybody's like, when are you going to write your third book about People want me to write about the campaign. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, when are you going to write your life story now? I said, who wants to hear about this? But um, but I people, do. People, people, um, you know, um, I could, I could go. I mean, when you ask about the trailer park and Green Acres, I mean, I was experiencing two whole different worlds and how those worlds collided, and how did I navigate those worlds, and did I ever choose a world, mm-hmm. and um, the. You know, and how that affected my self-esteem and, and who I hung out with and and how did that influence my academics and 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 and, you know, choices on that. You know, I had a I remember in elementary school, there was there was it was me and the set of twins. I won't say their names, but it was a set of twins and they were black and we were kind of like in the advanced, you know, spots and their mother did not want them to be around me. And so she didn't want them to be around me because of class. Mm-hmm. They they lived in a they had different. They weren't you in know. Mm-hmm. I was I, I was coming from I was coming from a trailer park. Yeah. You see yeah. you see what I'm saying? And and she did not want them to hang hang around hang around me. Uh, but um, we we were we still were friends because we were always in the same classes mm-hmm. together. Even when we merged in the high school. It was it was one add-on and myself and them too. We were always the only blacks, even when we merged high school. So how you navigate those words, you just can't fit in because you're poor, you can't fit in because you're too white, you're too black, you you're too this, you know. So I ended up I had a I had a group, uh I had a I was able to navigate different friend sets. So I had different friend sets. I had white friend sets, I had black friend sets. <laughs> um, I was able to navigate um, all, 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 you know, that was tough for me to navigate, but I, but I, but I, but I did it. I did. I had a best friend. He was white. We hung out. I mean, he hung out. He was, he was white and his folks are millionaires and we hung, we were best friends in class. And um, so I, I found community. We were like a group of misfits. So it was like him and two other people. We were like a group of misfits and, um, Awesome. I got in trouble in school. I mean, I, I can talk about all of That's that. Boy, That's the book. I see a mini series. Yeah. <laughs> I 
Oh my gosh. Well, Let me get through this docket first. I understand. Well, first, <laughs> congratulations. You said you were a judge for a month and a half. So congratulations on your victory. And that's Thank that's you. phenomenal. But I want to switch gears a little bit because I was talking to Andre and, and I saw that you were a Delta on some of your I went to Ballopedia and then it had all of your links and I went to your Facebook page and and then I saw those those signature red converses and i was wondering is that because you like those or is it because of the delta influence but i saw so many pictures with the red converses i was like that's that's judge hayes trademark but i wanted to ask her about it look, so i know yeah, it's a little light humor they were stylish they were always clean like they were i was wondering my question to andre was does she has like five pairs of the same ones because they're so clean or did you wash them every time you come back from the park or the event? I should go get them now. They're not that clean. But I wore some chucks um, through the campaign. I had a pair of blue high, ch- high top chucks that I wore through the campaign and I had a supporter who uh, gave me some red, red chucks because of my sorority. And of course I wore blue because I was Democrat and then the red for the sorority. So you're right about that. Oh, so no, I was wondering, I was like, theirs are so cool. I was just wondering what those are about, but. um, I love my chucks. Everybody knew I was coming. My chucks and my megaphone and they knew I was coming. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thank you for answering that. And back to the, uh, I was looking at your, 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 your platform and you wanted to open up to, I'm in Tampa, Florida. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, but when you mentioned that you wanted to have court in the evening so people wouldn't have to lose their jobs, is it not common in Tennessee to have night courts or is that just in other states? This is a great um, area and thank you for allowing me to talk about it. So one of the things I did campaign on was to have court after hours so Mm -hmm. people wouldn't have to miss their jobs. And I am on the docket and um, we are now working as a court. Um, you'll be seeing some things, hopefully, um, going to Zoom, doing some virtual court settings mm-hmm. um, because people are missing work and they're paying astronomical prices in parking um, to come to court. Um, so right now, t- Nashville, Tennessee has like what is called a night court and it goes 24 hours. And the wow. purpose of night court is to issue warrants and orders of protection and they sign warrants and do emergency committals. But actually taking care of your case, they cannot do. They only do kind of the preliminary pieces on criminal matter, on criminal matters and orders of protection and mental health committals. And so my goal was to have a court after, after hours. So as soon as we get to this space with the virtual piece, um, I'm gonna be um, visiting that hopefully, um, hopefully in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some dockets that um, may not be able to go to after hours because of because of staffing. But there are some dockets like the state trooper docket, um, which a lot of people are from out of town. So let's say you're from Tampa and I hope you're OK from um, the hurricane to EM. Uh, yeah, I know that hit your area. Um, um, people can't travel in from out of town, but what would benefit them most is getting on the telephone or the Zoom to handle their court matter. Mm-hmm. And so we have heard a few cases by by Zoom. The court has, not me, but there the court has. Um, so yes, yeah, so that is something that definitely is on my mind is to do uh, more accommodating court 
for the people and so they can eliminate parking expenses and losing work hours. Uh, one thing that I did on my traffic docket last week, so the docket changes every week. So last week I was on traffic and civil. And so I went in early. The traffic docket started at 8.30, but I went in about 8.10 with no robe on, checking to see who could get stuff resolved. Because mm -hmm. I wanted to go in there. I was in my work clothes. Come on, let's get some of this stuff resolved so people could get on out. And so we did, we were able to get some folks out early and then we started at 8.30 and then went on, rolled with whoever was there uh, formally. So with robe on and all that. Mm -hmm. um, so I am, um, so I am thinking, I'm thinking all the time how to eliminate the expenses and barriers for people to come to court, which is what I campaigned on. That's great. So thinking about your other uh um, items on your on your platform, your campaign platform. Can you share one or two other things you found um, that you've been able to start, you know, uh, implementing successfully? That you're kind of kind of proud of right now. Great. So um, one thing was to meet with the folks early to move them out because of the parking okay. issue. Uh, I have scheduled my first town hall, which is one of my campaign commitments, is to talk about the office, what I'm doing as a judge, hold me accountable. What's going on with the after hours court? What's going on with the town halls? What's going on with the community assessment survey? Um, so I have been meeting with organizations um, to get to gather folks who are going to be on my community sur survey um, team. And so we need people who um, who are going to sit down at the table, critique the court and find out more information how we can be better served. So I am proud of the work that I've done in that respect um, about pointing out issues that are barriers to people coming coming to court. And I just want to say that every, especially that the the felony jail docket, when the people are in jail and you're handling their matters kind of right away because they're incarcerated, that I look at the law, I read the law, I read the law to the people. Um, when I make decisions, I educate, which is one of my platforms, is to make sure people are educated. And so I am very proud of the work in that respect, that I am letting people know what's going on with their cases, whether they are a person who's an accused or they are a victim. So we had a case in on the felony docket where the person could not go forward with their case because of some mental health issues, but there were five victims there to testify. So I gathered all the victims up and I said, let me tell y'all what's going on. Okay. Because instead of sending them away and saying, come back to the next court date, I wanted to know exactly what was going on with the case. And they were very understanding. Then one, one, one man asked, can we get reimbursed for our parking? And I said, Hey, I said, I said, I'm the judge. I'm going to remain neutral on that because they were asking the DA's office to pay for them. But that parking is, that's something that is on my mind. But I am proud of the fact that within these past three weeks of the docket, that I have been fair, uh, that I have treated everybody with dignity, and I have used the gavel to make sure every voice is heard. And I take time to listen to people's stories. I have managed to help people to avoid having evictions on their records by explaining to them the law and working out situations that can get out of the apartment or rental um, place without having an eviction on their record. So I'm, pr I'm proud of that. 
And I'm, I'm proud that, um, that the lawyers uh, understand, like I said before, that I am looking at the law. I'm not acting on gut. I'm not acting on got a feeling. I'm not acting on, oh, I trust so-and-so. No, I go straight to the law and I read it and I explain the law to the, to, um, to, in, in the case of the, in the, in the criminal matter to the persons being accused. I tell them why I've made this decision. And I'm, I'm very proud that I have not bound over everything the DA wants to put, put up that, you know, you have not made your case and I do not bind it over because I go to the elements of the offense. That's great. That's great. Awesome. Two things stand out. Um, the empathy, right? The first time I went to, I was telling my son this, first time I went to court was for a ticket I received. I was 18. I'm not sure what it was for. I may have been speeding. I'm not sure. But my, my mom was like, uh, hey, do you want me to go with you? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm 18. I'll be fine. And Judge Hayes, when I got there, I felt like a, like a lost puppy. I had no idea what was going on. Some lady came out and asked me why I was there, and I explained it to her, and, and it was just kind of like I was I was whisked through and wasn't clear on what happened or why it happened, that sort of thing. So the fact that you take time to kind of share the details of, here's the case, here are the laws, here's why you're being charged, et cetera, et cetera. That, that, that's, that's incredible, I love that. Here, here's a burning question. You're successful in what you're doing, from my perspective. You've had a lot of success academically, professionally. At this stage in your life, how do you juggle everything with five kids, being a wife, being a mom? <laughs> what, what, you need to write a book on that. Huh? This is a really good question. And because um, I work hard and my whole life has just been work, I worked three plus jobs to make sure my kids were taken care of and had health care. And so uh, it, and then I campaigned and I love campaigning. It's like a high. So it takes me a little bit to come down off of it, but it's so important to do self-care. And I cannot, um, the, the judge at the judicial school, you go to like this baby judge school at the beginning and all the judges emphasize taking care of yourself. Um, so that is something, um, something that I'm really going to focus on is, is allowing myself space not to be working, but to be relaxing. Um, but I will tell you that I cannot remember when I started, but every morning I work out. So everybody, everybody pretty much knows me, knows I work out every single morning. I begin every morning with prayer and I work out and I am listening to sermons or I'm listening to gospel music or a meditation and I am working out every single morning. So that 30 to 40 minutes or even an hour is mine. Uh, I try not to um, entertain a lot of stuff during that time. I, I like to take that time out for myself. Um, so I, I'm really big on, on that. Um, so I am going to, to be intentional about pulling pulling away and, and doing some things I really enjoy. And yes, I'm going to be working on that third book. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but um, but I definitely want to do that. I, I'm, I've been dedicated to the NAACP for the past 32 years, and I'm the secretary for the branch, and it takes a lot of time. A lot of time. Uh, but um, I'm in the process now of kind of letting 
things go and training up other people who are younger uh, or, or who have different ideas on how things are to, you know, how to do things. Um, so I can move, move out of the way and really focus on this and giving myself a perspective to say, this is okay to focus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on this. Um, so um, I am, I've got dinner ready um, to not to, for the week. I actually, this week, you call me at a good time. I've already prepared meal, uh, uh, wow. meals for the whole week. Um, yeah, I, I, I said, I asked, you know, I told, I said, Lord, I got to get back to things you know, that, that I'm used to doing. And my husband, he is, I have a wonderful husband. Um, I was single for many years and, um, and I met Arnold and he is super great. He is super, super, super supportive. And, uh, I'm not really, it took me some getting used to, but now that I'm really used to it, I'm very spoiled. Uh, I'm very spoiled by Arnold. Um, and our, our children, the three, um, the three oldest girls are his biological children and they are grown and, and settled and successful. And then we have my two children, Elizabeth's on her way to law school and my son, Adric's about to graduate from A&M. But I really set up some boundaries um, with my children. I've given them, um, I gave them 110% beyond, I can't take out, slit the wrist, everything. <laughs> Um, for the, um, but I just want to say to parents of adult children, and I have, and and my son, he has some special needs, so I have to um, still do a little more involvement with him. But I do say that I do believe in setting up boundaries and giving yourself the word to say, "Hey, I did everything I did. Now this mm-hmm. time, it's my turn." Mm-hmm. It's my turn, and so that's another way that I. Setting up boundaries. Um, today, I'm on. I, I I remember campaigning. I was going to like eight events a day, so I'm now I'm limiting myself to okay. one event. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one event a day. So, um, so just being mindful. I, I I meditate and just setting healthy boundaries and having people in your life who are supportive of you and who want you to rest and who want you to take care of yourself. So yeah, I got to get used to it. The, the, the judge job. At first I was like, golly, you got it like it's administrative week, like where you're off completely. And I was like, wow, you know, this is totally new, but, but doing the docket, the, you, the judges need that administrative week. So I just want to emphasize that you, you're going to need that week. Um, because you hear a lot of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you carry a lot of weight on you and people think being a judge is easy, but it's not because you're living in a fishbowl. Uh, so mm-hmm. you have to get to be even more cautious of what you say and what you do and where you and where you are and how you conduct yourself. And so um, that carries a lot of pressure and weight for me. Because uh, I'm very much into accountability, and so, so yes, and taking care of yourself for me, what I've learned is to be kind to yourself. And like I was saying, you know, be kind. You came out of a trailer park, lady. You know, you, you came from some interesting circumstances. Really, stats, statistics say you're not supposed to be here. 
Um, so that's what I'm learning more to do is to be kind to myself and to, um, um, just, Hey, you know, just be kind to yourself and don't sweat the small stuff. But my husband has been really helpful. He's just, he just really, he's really helpful and he helps me to understand things and he's so supportive and he knows a lot about love and commitment, relationships. He's very mature and he's, he's, he's retired from Ford. So he's as a supervisor, he's a, he was an engineer or he's still an engineer, but retired engineer. And he's been through a lot and he shares a lot of that, that he, he, he helps me a lot. And then he, he was, he was, he was married to a a woman named Vivian and they were married for 35 years. Mm -hmm. And so he's a widower. Oh, my condolences. (laughs) He's a widower. So, um, and we met through the NAACP. Awesome. Well, this has been, this, this is, that was probably more than what you wanted. No, no, <laughs> yeah, we, we, I mean, everyone is, it, your, your experiences are amazing and it's a, it's a, you never know who God's going to put in our path to help us with our journey. And we may not know the path, but God knows the path. So, and those characters that's put in our path are there as angels, earthbound angels to give us guidance. I look at it as. Mine was more like a maze. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but either way, well, we are ready for the final four, and I want to thank you for this inter- for this information. But this is where I ask you a question, and Andre asks you a question, and we do this with all our guests because it it shines a different perspective. So the first question on the final four is. If you were to have dinner with anyone, Martin Luther King, Obama, Michelle, who would be the other three representatives at your dinner table, table of four, and why and who would they be? Oh, so do I get to pick all four? You get to pick all three because you're the number one and then the other three at your table. But you can add four if you like. You can add five if you like. (laughs) I would like to meet with... um... I would I would have my daughter there. Mm-hmm. She inspires me the most. Awesome. Um, I would have because and I would want her to meet. Um, it's all about her, Katanji. Katanji, uh huh. And I would have. Um, 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 let me see. Oh, I would have Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. Those are people. Sojourner Truth. I would. I would. I would have those folks there, so Elizabeth could meet them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so sweet. You know what? You're the first one out of all of our guests who selected their dinner table based upon someone else. So you said, I want to have my daughter there, and I want my daughter with these other two, Sojourner and Kajanji. So that's amazing. You're the first one to do that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question is, what would you say is writing a biography title be? What do you say? Ideas to win. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I can't wait to read your book, Ideas to Win. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, here's one, and it's it's really, um, if we think about it, you, you talked about 
coming up from the the being raised in the projects, not project, the, the trailer park with the Green Acres and various friend sets and navigating. What would you say is your superpower? If you were to say that this is my power that I own exclusively, like Superman can see through fire or whatever, but then Wonder Woman can just has an invisible plane. Plane. What would be Judge Hayes' superpower? My superpower is the ability to love people. Oh, amazing. Ability to love. Is to love. Is to love and and to see the and and to, and and that love enables me to see people as human beings. Mhm. And and love them through what whatever and hopefully they can do the same for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, a, I think my superpower is to love. That's a beautiful superpower. You know what the funny thing is, and it's not, it's not ironic, but it's so amazing, is, Andre, we have about maybe 15 to 30 different, maybe let's say 20 different interviews. And these final four questions, a lot of people have said, I want my grandfather, I want my grandmother. And yours is totally off the charts, is totally original new new answers, which is fascinating. I love it too. So thank you very much. Okay, the next one is, what would you say is your greatest success today? My children. Children, that's amazing. My children, both of them. Mm-hmm. They are okay. They're going to be okay. Wow. I poured in a lot to my children. They are my greatest success. Man, that's that's another original answer. <laughs> that is a, I just love how your it's it must be your spirit because everything is a reflection of others, and that is so beautiful to me. Uh, everyone else is like, oh, my greatest success is me, uh, my ability to make money, my ability to build this house, but yours is all about others, and that's that's almost epitomizes your service to others and being in your role as a public official. So. I want to thank you for your time, and I, I I've been moved, and and I'm so inspired, and and I actually I'm gonna go out there when it says be encouraged and exercise your faith. I'm gonna go get your books and read them because I'm just all inspired by you, and uh, even though you say you're not a mentor, your experiences are mentors for others who are just somebody in that trailer park or projects or someone who's navigating between various facilities or various friend sets, as you call it. This is inspiring. So thank you very much for your time on a Sunday. Thank you, Judge Hayes. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. And one thing I, I told Kevin about you as a person, being that I've met you in the past, is how approachable, how genuine you are, authentic. Um, and you mentioned you know, one of the challenges of being a judge is being an official. Um, from the outside looking in, I, I think you have a slight advantage in that you know, you are a person with high morals, high values. You're a person that can um, can really connect with those from any walk of, walk of life because of, of your unique journey. And so, yeah, I, I definitely see you having tremendous success in this role as a, as a judge. And I look forward to seeing what, what happens uh, beyond this after you uh, finish this, this term. And how long is this term, by the way? Eight years. Awesome. Eight years. Okay. Eight years. Okay. So please come and court watch and look around and and see what's happening there. And um, as soon as I get my um, my coalition together, I'll let you guys know. And if you want to do something around that, that'd be great. Awesome. Thank you. Definitely will. Excellent.
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I'm down there and I'm looking at what, there's so many things I could have campaigned on that I didn't know, uh, but yeah, but definitely access is, is, for me, is the fundamental element of justice. 